So we're in Acts. Find your way to Acts 17. We'll get there in a minute or two. And I want to start by just kind of orienting us to camp, if I could. So this whole series, starting this morning and then each night as we're here, has the, the theme or the idea of journeying with light into chaos. I was thinking of a way to illustrate this, and it reminds me of when I was about four years old. And I remember multiple times um, screaming in the dark in my closet because I could not find the door to my room. Anybody else have these kind of issues or just, I was a kind of a slow starter. Okay, so I'm like trying to go to the bathroom because this is really a priority to parents to use the restroom instead of your bed, I guess. But I, so I'm trying to find my way there, but it's just so dark and, and then I'm disoriented and I go through a door, but it's my closet. Now I can't find my way out. I learned later that it helps to open your eyes. That was one of the problems I was having with darkness, but but it was amazing when mom, because dads never rescue you, you know, but when mom came in the room and flipped the light on, it was so embarrassing, even at four, like, why am I in my closet? You know what I mean? Even at four years old, you're kind of wondering. That flip of the switch is what we need to be in our communities. They are stuck in the closet or coming out of the closet into darkness, okay? And, and we need to turn the light on. And my mom didn't do that in meanness, and she never berated me. She was compassionate and was on task with the task I needed to do. I mean, she's right with me. Flip the light on, bring light to the situation. What I want for this week at camp is for you to sit back, and as young people, adults, old adults, to let these truths sink in, let some of the illustration sink in, argue with some of it. Um, appropriate it a piece at a time right where you are, your next step. I'm not here to guilt you. Every lesson's about outreach, so just, you know, buckle up. I've traveled churches. Um, BCP's working in about 10% of the GRBC churches in the country right now in an intimate way. Over almost 20% of the churches in Iowa and the GRBC we're working with, and I'm thrilled. But I'm telling you, there's very little outreach in most of those churches. We're, we're loving each other. A lot of good things are happening in the building, but it is not happening outside the building. And I think there's reasons for that. I'm not here to guilt us on that. I'm working through that as well as a person. I have been on like a 10, 15-year journey in that. And so I just want us, let's take the next step. Let's let God, wherever yours is, take the next piece. A few things you'll hear from me. Some of you have heard because we work with your churches, but this is mostly added next step, new material to help us. When I think about getting oriented to camp, I love camp thought I'd get a yell or something for that. You like, I love camp. I mean, I stand today on the stage and, I, and God used camp. My dad came to Christ out of a home that the gospel was never taught in by going to a Bible camp for one year, 10 years old. And I mean, our whole life, I've worked at camp, gone to camp. I try and preach at camp every summer. Um, the whole time I was a pastor, if they would have me, I'm going. Because I just believe that the decisions made here matter. And you say, are you talking about kids camp? I'm talking about right now. Okay? And I, I'm with uh, Dave Callison. I think your kids should work at camp. I think family camp is a spiritually on task and opportunity. You have so much you can buy up this week. So let's, let's buy it up. All right? And it starts with the Word of God. Open that Word of God. We have some free time today. In your hammock, great idea. Open the Bible. Spend some time in the Word. Spend time with your family in the Word. Life is so crazy busy. Camp gives us little spots all day 
to invest in our families. It may be awkward for you. You may do it badly. Cool. It'll go better next time. Like, do something, okay? And uh, dads, if you're struggling with that, find an older dad. Ask for help. Go for it. Um, there's grandpas here that would love to walk alongside of you as a younger dad or a dad that just is struggling. Ask for help. This is the safest place to work on these kind of things. I'm going to give you some assignments. Dave Callison said maybe the devotions don't work for teenagers as much. Well, that's good because I have assignments out of every message because I wouldn't want you bored at camp. All right? So focus on the word. And, and I say this when I'm at a teen camp, junior high camp, family camp. I mean, we have the word from God. I never get over that. I mean, when I read for the first time in the Hebrew that God spoke mouth to mouth to Moses, I mean, that's like close and personal. I thought, are you kidding me? God himself gave this to us. I hope you never get over that. And I hope you go, okay, it says that, so now what? Um, Every piece, like we need to put it into motion. And you can't put into motion everything that's going to come out of messages and devotions But pick something. Let the Spirit of God use that to guide your next piece. Focus on family. Focus on each other. Kind of forget about your churches. Maybe not today. I was praying for a bunch of churches today. But kind of forget about your church in a sense. Simplify life just a little bit. Maybe I'm preaching to the pastors at this moment and wives, okay? But like set that aside and just be thinking about each other here, your family, and then let God merge to church as the week goes on, just so it's simplified and you can work it. That's kind of my orientation if I think about certain things related to camp um, <clears throat> and loving and caring for each other. This is our family. I wanted to orient you to us. I know a lot of you. Some of your churches actually have partnered with us in our journey. I pastored for 22 years in central Wisconsin at the same church. I went as an intern from seminary to finish my seminary degree. They kept me as an assistant pastor. And for 17 years, I was the lead pastor at that church. Incredible privilege uh, to raise your family in one place, have a church that loves them and builds into their lives. Uh, My daughter is uh, our youngest, and she's working at the state camp, Camp Fairwood in Wisconsin this year. Led a junior hire to Christ out of her cabin last week. She was so pumped to talk about it. I I almost had to pull over. I was crying so hard. Uh, driving here yesterday as she's telling me how God opened the eyes of this young person. It was great. And today she just texted me. I know you're not supposed to look at your phone in church, but she just texted me and uh, one of her friends from high school that drove to Cedarville for one of her concerts this year is unsaved. And uh, she met her for breakfast this morning and she's going to church with her right now. And so pray for uh, Abby and uh, her friend Allison. That'd be great. Um, that's our, some of our family. So Abby is a senior, will be a senior at Cedarville. Our middle child, Joshua, works for the Air Force as a civilian. He's in, starting his second year working for them, Cedarville grad. And then our son, Rob, is a policeman. His wife, Alyssa, and our 21-month-old grandbaby, Elena. And uh, did you know that Wisconsin's on the way home from Iowa? <laughs> to Ohio, where we live. It is. It's shocking, but it works perfectly. Um, uh, we, it, it's been hard to leave our family. Last summer we talked about that with some of you. It, just to move from Wisconsin, church family, everything else, to leave that culture where we're so used to things. And we moved to a little town called Oberlin, Ohio, so I could become the president of Baptist Church Planner. Somebody knows Oberlin? I mean, this is a pagan place. I'm telling you, they fly, they fly the rainbow flag, they tree hug, and, you know, I'm a redneck bird hunter, so this is an interesting match. But I love it. I, I love people. I love to see people come to know Jesus. 
And uh, it's great to be in a place that is just an open conversation. And, uh, and I trust that some of that will bleed out into what we're doing. I so wish my wife could be here because actually I tried to use almost all new illustrations in this message and uh, from witness that we've been doing uh, in the last year. And, and it's hard because we've moved. And so it's COVID and masked up and our community is still masked. And, uh, you know, very frightened. And neighbors, I mean, I'm talking 15 yards is as close as they would get. Not like yards, but feet, you know. Uh, the 45 feet from us, you know, that, that's as close as they would get. I mean, it, it's like weird. And it's so hard to crack into a community. And my wife, because I travel, I mean, she has been so helpful in being on task with her prayer, on task uh, with communication so that I can then walk next to her in our witness right where we live. We've joined a new church because we moved to a new area. We're at Camden Baptist, and uh, we just we love the people there and excited about what God might be doing next in that church as they are grappling with Christ in very good ways and intensely praying church. It's been so good for us to move and have an immediate prayer team next to us. My wife is not here because uh, when we were in Camp Fairwood for senior high week as a substitute speaker uh, three weeks ago, her dad, who lives with us, had a heart attack. So she had to fly home from that week, which was one of our planned weeks away. And then uh, our next planned week away was this. And um, she just didn't feel like she could leave him. Plus, her mom is really in about her last month. We keep saying that, but the downward steps in hospice care are difficult. And our, one of our son's I uh, want to be with her this week, so she has some help. Pray for us. Um, it's hard to negotiate travel ministry when you're trying to think, do I need to be home or not? And, and me being here is proof, I hope you understand this, how much she is with you, okay? Like, she sat on the couch just putting her spirit in a right spot because she's discontent. She wanted to be here, and it's hard not to be together. And uh, it's, But I just love the fact that my wife is all in to whatever God has us doing. And that isn't always designed, and it doesn't always get shaped the way you like it at different stages in life. But we're trying to just embrace that and let God use us right where he's placed us, and I'm sure it'll look different the next day. Um, but pray for her this week as she carries a little greater load so that we can be together. Um, I, I'm not going to say anything after today. I don't think about Baptist church planners, but I, I use this slide a lot of places I go. And our desire as an agency, and you might say, well, like, why do you speak at camp? Well, first of all, Iowa regular Baptist camp is about church. And you've already heard that today. And I love that. So in coming here, I get to be alongside people that already partner with us. Many of you meet new churches, meet new people from the churches. So it's just an ideal opportunity to encourage God's church. Our goal as a mission is to facilitate God's church to do the Great Commission in such a way that churches would be planted and revitalized. And uh, we just want to help you in your multiplication process if God would use us that way. To train you so that you can train your team, so that you can train other teams. And God is doing that. From 2017, where we started with five churches, by the end of fall, we're going to be about almost 70 churches that God is working. I mean, he has just multiplied the opportunity for influence in churches, and what he's doing in some of those churches is incredible. That's not why I'm here this week. I may share a couple outreach stories from those churches, but it is just incredible. One that I would share is we had a church in New York. It's been a church since the early 80s, and they had their first adult conversion. Well, you know, you could say that's pretty bad. It is. But go home and look. 
How many adults are in your church that your church was used by God to lead them to Christ? And I'm not demeaning little kids getting saved, but I just say, just check yourself that way. Because I've been in churches of two, three hundred people where there's only three adults that they led to Christ in their memory. You know, for, that means a couple generations. That is not the way the church is described in the Bible at all. And if that's where our church is at, then we have to say, okay, God, change me. I told you, don't think about your church too much yet. But God, what do you need to change in me? And I had that happen to me as a pastor, and I say it to you. The arrow that's blank in here, everywhere I go and use this slide, I say this. Most of us inherited the churches we're in. Most of you were not part of planting the church you're in. A few of you, maybe. Most of us inherited them. I've inherited everything I went to pretty much in my whole life. That means it came to me. And my grandfather always said, if you inherit something, you better leave it in better shape than when you got it. Okay? There should be something more coming out of that. And I think about that with God's church and my grandfather's advice. Like, the churches I'm a part of, is there more left? And I'm not talking about numbers of people necessarily, although that's part of it. But what fruit is really coming out? And to beg and ask God for that, that's really what I hope to stir up even this week. Um, This week, too, as I think about getting oriented to camp, I'm going to try and preach an entry sermon right now, okay? (laughs) Which means it's not complete. We have have five times to be together. So I'm trying to hold back the faucet because I'd like to just hit you with a fire hose. You know, I'm like that. I'm all pent up. I got all this stuff to say to you. I'm just trying to slow down, okay? But, But I want this to come gradually. And I actually, because we have more time than just a morning hit, I want to be able to talk about culture a little bit more. And you're going to, you know, some of you might say, a little more time in the Word. We will be in the Word all week. But I also think sometimes we need to slow down and like really look at what's around us so we can take the Word that you already know and get it into motion. Okay? So I want, I want to spend time thinking about our culture some as we work together. And when I think about outreach in America and getting oriented to the idea of outreach in America, America has drastically changed. It was the cultural norm to go to church not that long ago. You may even, living in Iowa, which is fairly conservative, you may even think that's the cultural norm. I think you're probably wrong, okay, especially if you go to the urban area. But most people are not in church on Sunday morning. Um, That's just, it's weird. Matter of fact, people 40 and under, 35 and under, if you say, you know, do you want to come to church, they're going to look at you and go, why? And they're not trying to be rude. They just... It doesn't make any sense. Allison is going to church with my daughter this morning. I mean, she's eaten in our home. She's heard the gospel multiple times. She has traveled to come be with us. She's like, your family's so different, and we teach her of who God is. But church is, this is the first time she will have gone to church, and we've known her for five years. You say, that's just weird. Well, maybe, but it makes, it makes no sense to her why you would go to church. She needs to know who God is. Before that, will make sense. And most people, that age group, that's going to be true. So it went from church being a cultural norm, kind of the, some of that doctrine behind the founding of our country, to a cultural chaos that has been going on now, really, for about 40 years, 50 years, uh, unfolding of greater and greater chaos. And now we're in cultural antagonism where it's pitted against the church. And in some cases, people look at that and go, oh man, what are we going to do as church? I go, that's the same as Ephesus. No big deal. I mean, seriously, no big deal. Like, do not, if you walk out of camp going, oh man, we got so much, then I blew it, okay? The world does not scare me at all. We have the answer, amen? 
We have clear truth in God's word. We just have to work hard to meet them at the right spot to give it. And God's the one that opens eyes. It's never going to be our speech. Matter of fact, he's taken some of the worst convoluted things I've said to bring light to people. So it's obviously about him. We just need to go do the work that he sent us to do. We need to engage with that culture. Americans now, there's all kinds of categories. I I hesitate to lump things because there are still people raised in church. Most of us, okay, raised in church. There are a lot of spiritual type people in America. Some of the younger generations are very spiritual. They don't know Christ. They don't have a good definition of God, but they're very spiritual. They're very open to all kinds of spiritual things, which is great. It makes it easy to talk about God with them. And then we have a, a big, huge class in America of no religion. They're nothings, which is just really twisted because you are always something. And so that's a totally different kind of person to engage with. And, and then we have, you know, classic atheist type people. They still exist. There's actually not that many of them. And then now I think a growing feature is anti-religion. People that they're not just nothing, but they're opposed to anything that smacks, especially of church, like evangelical church in particular. And God has come to save all these people, people raised in church to people that are absolutely anti-religion. God brings all those people to himself. So you shouldn't go, so which category do we best witness to? No, whoever God puts in front of you is what is in front of you that God wants you to work at. And you might have one in every category that I just gave. Cool. I think that's awesome. Makes for great variety. You're never bored in your Christian walk then. You're constantly thinking, and that'd be great. Uh, so America like that. So, and, and I would say that our approach to witness in church, and I was raised in our kind of circle of churches here, okay? Evangelical, Baptist, fundamental churches. And, and I was raised probably to do outreach this way. And, and many of you have heard this from me. Pray, connect to people, and invite them to church. Just get them to church. How many of you, that was like the standard operating procedure? Don't be lying to me. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. All of us that are 40 and older, you know. Um, get them to church. We were probably told to witness, and that was like bonus if you did that. But bring them to church, and somebody who's hired up front will speak the gospel clearly, and they'll come to Christ through an event, through church. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I even read it in a constitution from one of our churches recently, not in Iowa, but a state near you. And uh, where it absolutely said, your job is to bring people to church. And that's good. I mean, it's not wrong to bring people to church, but that's not outreach, okay? Um, That's not what God has given us mission to do. It's an outflow that's going to happen. But our mission to do is to take the gospel, to actually preach. Most of the time the word used is not about a guy up front. Okay, it's us declaring the gospel to people. That's our work. And, and, but I wasn't always taught to do that. And I just kind of said, like, maybe after they come to church, maybe you would be a part of that process somewhere, possibly. And really with a mentality that elite people do missions was kind of the mentality that was accidentally taught to me. I'd like to propose a different process. And again, I've taught this. We're going to use it all week, but we're going to actually talk about like tools to use in it. The first step was still right from the first process that I was taught. The first step is to pray. And most of the time I find that the word pray, different words for prayer in the New Testament, they're almost always plural, which isn't very American. So let me help us with that. 
That means that I'm not supposed to sit in my house and pray by myself for lost people that I'm going to witness to. I mean, I should do that. But I am, the, the command is for us. Or if you're from Wisconsin, usin, okay? It's for usin to pray, okay? We're supposed to do this together. So how much, well, Ephesians says it this way. In Ephesians 6, where Paul's asking for prayer for him, but he's asking it for all people. In Ephesians 6, he says, verse 18, praying always, or excuse me, praying at all times. Um, So who did I tell you to pray for during the service? Allison, a couple of you are doing it. That's good. Um, At all times, like during the service, God brings someone to pray for them, right? And together we're supposed to be at all times in the spirit, Okay, so not just me trying to think. No, I'm engaging with God. In other words, genuine prayer. Like, God, what what do you want here? What are you doing here? How are you unfolding this? I'm grappling with God through his spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I mean, that's a lot of alls. That's a lot of intensity. One of the great things about becoming president is we have staff prayer time. So I got to add another major slice of prayer in my life. It is so good. And we spend a lot of time praying for churches that support us, churches that we're walking alongside of, pray for individuals, and we're constantly asking them about their witness, and we pray together with endurance, right? With steadfastness. For all the saints, as God puts those names, put them in front of us. And Paul says, and for me, what are we praying? That words may be given, he says to him, but it's also praying for everybody, to us that for the opening of our mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. (laughs) The intense part of our prayer life. Matter of fact, the rest of this chart does not work without it. So for some of you, if this is not part of your life, maybe you just found the thing to work on this week. And this is an easy place, because you might say, my church is struggling. Well, this place is not struggling this week. Amen? Well, I mean, we struggle a little bit. But we're here together, okay, for these purposes. Let's pray with perseverance. We'll talk more about that. It starts with prayer. And don't forget, together. You need to have a team. I have over 70 people that I texted yesterday who are praying for you, and I heard back from like three quarters of them about how they're praying for this week. Because if we don't pray with perseverance in all categories, and especially for boldness, I mean, it is hard to go to our neighbors who have no understanding of God, gospel, Bible, nothing. It's hard. We've got to start with prayer. And when you know that's behind you, and God starts to open the door, the, the fear just, it goes away. And you have that boldness that's been asked for. Connect. I find two in our circles, and i got to hurry here. I'm supposed to. We, we are so churchified. I've told this here before, but our church a number of years ago, as we got serious about outreach, we canceled an entire day a week of ministry. We just got rid of it. Because we were at church too much. And instead, we upped the accountability. We're at church less, and we're intentional in the community and people's lives. Because it's fun to go to church. It's simpler. It's comfortable. No other place the rest of the week is comfortable. Right? I mean, work, it's difficult where we live. And so I love church. But we have a mission as church to do it. And we must gather. It becomes an extreme priority to be together if you're going to do outreach. Because you're going to find that in a second. But we need to connect. And I would add the word together with this. Can you put that on the screen? Or 
not on the screen, on your paper, connect together. So I need to meet people. The best thing is, though, to meet people together with other believers. As you do that, then it's automatically, you got backup, you have accountability, you have focus, you have prayer. So the sooner and easier you can connect lost people that you're connecting with to people from church. We had so many people come to Christ at our church when I pastored that, we. how did you come to Christ? Well, I, I cleaned like 20 people from your churches. I cleaned their teeth for three years. And every time your people come in, they talk about Jesus. You know, and so the person got saved. Shocker, right? I mean, they heard it 20 different ways. They got, she got like three or four different books in just a couple of years that she was devouring. Now her husband is saved and has a ministry on YouTube through hunting and discipleship. It's really so cool. But that happens when we connect together, right? In that case, we didn't even know we were all doing it. It was kind of fun. Connect. Two lost people. Some of you as especially the older we get and the longer we've been redeemed, the less connects we have to lost people. Some of you need to spend serious time praying with others this week. How do I reconnect in my community? I had retired people in my church that did not have a lost friend. And I said, well, you cut wood every, every week? Yeah. I'm like, do you go to the hardware store? Yeah. I said, they're all lost. I got to talk to them? Yes. Okay, this is part of connect, okay? So we, some of you need to spend some time because you can't hurry this up. Sometimes it takes six months to figure out how to reconnect in our community. This, I, I'm not, I don't want to cheapen this point. Some of you go, but I'm, I'm not an extrovert like you. Okay, I'll give you that. Uh, read the book Scent. It's got great chapters on introverts and how they connect um, if you're looking for a resource. Uh, the wife is an extrovert. The husband is not. They, they write a great book on how they work together. with very different shape of how God made them. But all of us need to do outreach. And sometimes introverts do the best work because they pay attention to people better. And so we need to connect. That, that was not an introvert. Um, but anyway, you know, <laughs> we, we, need, I don't know, we need to connect. It doesn't matter our personality. I give you no mulligans, okay? Like, we all have to do this. And God's going to use that difference perfectly in his plan. He's designed the right people for you to reach. I guarantee it. I watch it happen all the time with my wife and I, because my wife would hate to be up front talking to you. Um, <clears throat> God conversations. We don't start with the gospel because they don't even know what the gospel is. People don't even know who God is. We need to start having God conversations. We're going to spend two days talking about different types of God conversations from Scripture where you're giving actual good theological truth, not whimsical, flimsy stuff. Stuff that draws people to God because he is spectacular and the image of God is imprinted on them. And it, logically, until their conscience is seared, they have an engagement that will take place between them and God that you may not even know that's going on. But we have to start talking about him. And uh, then out of that comes gospel, and the gospel usually comes with a pinch point. I mean, Allison lost a boyfriend, okay, uh, several months ago, and that's what started her reconnect with Abigail. She said, Abby, I call you because you're my only friend from high school that when I talk to, I always, you're always full of peace. And Abby goes, let me tell you why. Right, one more time, give this girl the gospel because she was at another pinch point. And, read, and, and when people are at pinch points, negative or positive, they never turn you away. When they call on you for help, 
because you have had God conversations and they know you have something, they do not push you. You can say anything you want and they'll take it almost. If the, especially the harder the pinch point is, the more open they are to that. We need to get to the gospel in the pinch point, but then we need to have Bible study that goes on week after week with people opened up at a coffee shop at your house. I love having people in our house. Okay, We need to pull people together, open the Word of God. It takes time for people who have no church gospel background. They need time to understand the truth because we want them to believe the true gospel. Amen? So that it comes to them, they turn from idols, and it comes in power, real power of the gospel that is a life change when it happens. It's going to take time to build all that with them if they don't have any Bible background. So you're going to have to be ready to do Bible study in your home, one-on-one, and together with others, much better to do a Bible study with another believer. You should have believers at the ready so that when you get to that pinch point and a, and a man or a woman is really listening to you, and I usually only witness to men pretty much unless my wife's with me, but I'm witnessing to men, and when they're at that spot, I go, hey, I have a guy I do Bible study with. Yeah, I only do Bible study with him when I have a lost guy <laughs> that I need a brother in Christ with, right? But I have it at the ready. I say, I have a Bible, you know, a Bible study I do with a guy do you want to come and study this with me? And so then they can enter in, and together I have somebody else. And sometimes I pick that guy, because I used to have several. I only have a couple. Um, but I pick that guy based on what the other guy's like, because they might connect better. There may be more synergy and openness and opportunity. Plus, I travel, and so now I have to have people that are local that I can get them connected with, that can be consistent with them, so that there can be Bible study. So again, you're doing that together. Best case scenario. Um, <clears throat> out of that, there has to be a call to belief. We're going to spend a whole session on call to belief. I think sometimes we just don't speak the hard question. And we've got to. How do we do that? And then lastly, church. Because as, when someone knows they don't have what you have, they're ready for church, usually. Or if they come to Christ, then church makes total sense, if you've taught the Bible correctly. And they're ready. Um, and I've told this before at our church, for the last, I don't know how many years, I'd have people look at me and go, can I go to your parish? I'm like, absolutely. You know, can I come to church with you? Sure, that'd be great. You know, and they, they ask you sometimes at those points. I don't always wait for that, but it will be, you may think my friend would never do that. If you walk through a process of opening the word of God to them, let me tell you, God will bring them to where church is going to make total sense. So let's go to the passage here in Acts 17. And very quickly, um, I just want to kind of orient us to the passage. I'm going to be in this passage all week, so I don't feel like I have to cover every piece as we look at this. The book of Acts, it's very important to ask, why is the book of Acts here? To whom was it written and why? I have some opinions on that. I'm going to give them. Um, I think the book of Acts primarily was written to Gentiles, okay, um, that are unsaved. It seems like that was Luke's direction. So even though we're going to look at what Paul did, um, remember Luke's the author, not Paul. Okay, so Paul, his story of what he did is going to be looked at, but what's more important is why did Luke put this here in Acts? What is Luke trying to prove to Theophilus, who I think in my research is a Gentile, who's trying to understand the gospel? He wrote the book of Luke to him, and now he writes Acts to him to open up to someone who has no Jewish frame of reference, to someone who didn't grow up probably a God-fearer, 
okay? And he's engaging culture at that level. It's like perfect kind of book for us. It, especially in postmodern America, it's full of story of how the church came to be in power. It's an awesome book to open up. I mean, whether it's Stephen's sermon or, or this section we're in right here that's really an outline of probably a three or four hour conversation that Paul had in the public eye defending the gospel. Acts is unfolded to show that the church can exist in society and it's not opposed to the government. Um, and you think, yeah, we might need this today. Yeah, I think so. Um, because he's trying to legitimatize so all the Christians don't get th- thrown in jail. He's like, look, we don't care if a government comes up or down. And that was prayed this morning by someone. Spoken. That can't be our main agenda. Our agenda has to be the gospel. Paul's trying to lay that out like, look, this is what we're after. Now, when the gospel comes, sometimes that disrupts a nation. There's no doubt in a good way. But he's saying, look, this is, this is what the church really is. He's trying to unfold it so it makes sense. You see a progression in Acts of the church beginning, first five chapters. Next three chapters, there's persecution, and the church just expands incredibly. Peter, the beginning of Gentile ministry, which would make a lot of sense. They often see, well, okay, this is a Jewish thing. You know, I've had, I don't know how many teenagers in the last few years, pretty much everyone I've witnessed to, for a period of time, say, why would I believe in Jesus? He only showed up 2,000 years ago. They don't have a clear history. They don't understand how did the church come to be? Where did it come from? And the Gospel of Luke and Acts helps lay that out so it makes sense, because it does make sense. Peter starts into Gentile ministry. Antioch and the decree from Jerusalem covers the next three chapters or so. And then in the section we are, you have Paul from Antioch and now into the Gentile world. Matter of fact, in the immediate context, you have, uh, he's been in Thessalonica. People believed. There was a, just a, a rabble. You know, the crowd went crazy and he escaped. And he went to Berea where they received, it seemed like an even greater way. And he, they believed. And then people came from Thessalonica, stirred up a crowd and incited a riot. And the Christians sent Paul to Athens. So you this picture, I mean, Paul is just pursued, beaten up, and he walks into Athens. Not a Christian hotspot, okay? It's known as the intellectual center of the world at that time. A free thinking, um, dominating almost every culture, what the Greeks had done. And it was still unfolding, even though politically they were lesser, the thinking was just pervasive across. And he walks into that setting when he comes to this section. And, he, and you'd think he'd walk in like, oh, they sent me here to rest. There's not much going on here. There's no record of a local church at all at that moment in Athens. And so really it was like holiday. It was a time for him to recoup from two intense times together. But that's not Paul. Let's just read part of the passage in verse 16, chapter 17. It says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. They actually thought that was two different gods. 
you know, this is the way it is when you work on the street, okay? Like confusion, and they're trying to understand what's happening. And you see a whole series of different people that Paul is interacting. Look at the end of the story. I know it's a bad way to do preaching, but I'm going to. Uh, verse 33, so Paul went out of their midst because a bunch of them mocked. Some said, well, listen. But verse 34 says, but some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysus and a woman named Damaris and others with them. So in this just weekend or a few days of respite, Paul has already engaged a culture, and a culture that is just totally different, and they believed. And God, God, that's what God does. I, I have that same confidence. Trust that, that God would do that right where he's going to put you. I think, you know, when you think of this passage, think about some characters. First of all, did you catch Paul? Some of you, we relate to characters. I do. That's why I watch, when I watch movies or TV, I watch for characters. I like, to, I like unique characters and, and someone who can hold what they are in a, a genuine way. It's just fascinating. Look at Paul, this, this incredible player in this story. He's waiting for them at Athens. So he's been sent there just to wait. And his spirit was provoked within him as he saw a city full of idols. So when is the last time you are provoked like that. Provoked a strong word. And I'm not talking, he wasn't provoked like creating anger. He had angst. I remember being a former cheesehead, I guess. You move there, you don't have a choice, okay? I moved there, my church's carpet was green, the pews were yellow. I pointed it out and they hadn't even noticed. Like, I'm like, oh my land, you know, where have I moved to? It's messed up. But uh, I went to one Packer game because they were playing my Giants, and they killed us. It was awful. But anyway, went to this game, and I look out, and there, I'll, I'll never forget this. Seventy-some thousand people. They were not acting like Christians before, after, or during the game. And I, I drove away wondering how that many drunk people can leave without anybody dying. Second thing, I wondered, they're not saved. They worship what they do not know. And I, I just, I can't even think of that day without being troubled. It's a great thing. Almost every time I see football, I go back to that day and think, and I have nothing against going to a football game, but I don't know if I'd go again because it, it just so landed on me. Have you been provoked that way? Our town flies a rainbow flag and uh, is very overt. People move where I live because it's a comfortable place for them. And I am so saddened when I drive through our town. It provokes me constantly because people are in angst and they don't know that they're searching and they have no hope. Are you Paul in this story? He's provoked. Are you one of the Jews and devout people in the synagogue? You know, like you're religious. I don't think for one minute if you're at camp that you all know Jesus, okay? So did, do you, are you churchified? You've grown up in church, you know? And, and you've been doing this thing, and you may even believe God exists. You believe he's creator. You're a God-fearer. Paul went and talked to those people, but he was sharing with them what we're going to share this week, Jesus Christ. Are you going to believe in him? Or are you going to this week just kind of, yeah, yeah, what's this babbler got to say? Or maybe your marketplace, 
There's another group in this story. The marketplace, and then even diff- more difficult, the philosophers. The marketplace is just regular old people, okay? Building things and feeding people and growing things. Just regular people. And Paul, as he walked and interacted with them, he just talked their language, interacted, and some believed. Remember the end of the story. And he went to the philosophers. They're listed as believers directly by name, a male and a female. It's so interesting. Gospel to both, right? Both have standing. They're both mentioned. So good. And, and he speaks to the philosophers, and I think this, this whole speech, which we're going to find if you want to look hard, I think there are 17 different things about God. He's defining God 17 different ways in this little section. We're going to spend two days on that. Because those are the things that you need to unfold to your lost neighbors in God conversations. With scripture, with truth, so they understand who God really is. Because he will draw them, or they will reject. But it's going to be God's work in that. Paul did that. Marketplace. And then there are believers. People that believed. I hope that's us. And do you think for one minute that this man and this woman and others with them, do you think that was the end of their story? I think not. They were the beginning arrow of church, okay? Right there to marketplace, to Jews, to philosophers, because they had some of each that have come to know Christ. We think about this passage. What's it saying? Get to know your culture. So I'm going to give you an assignment, and we're almost done. And you're going to need to go think about your culture, because I don't live where you live, okay? I live in a very different place. And you're going to need to examine. And if you have teenagers, you ought to do this together. I just did this at teen camp and let the kids talk to me about each of these categories to say, yes, these are still true. These are still the way our culture thinks. There's nothing new under the sun. What Paul describes, I mean, think about the verses I read, just that section. He totally understood their society. He, he had read some of their literature. He'd walked around their town. He had figured them out. He got to know their culture. He knew what they loved, what they didn't love. He mentioned, Paul, you know, Luke mentions them by name, Stoics and Epicureans and marketplace people. And here's their fears and here's their struggles. They even have a, an idol, you know, or a, a, an altar to an unknown God. And he uses all that. He totally gets where they are. Get to know your culture. Some of us have been in church so long, we have no idea how to communicate clearly to our culture. And so we're going to need, to, we're going to need this week, some of you, to really think, not about, I don't, I don't care what TV show they're watching, okay? This, that's un- irrelevant cultural stuff. We're talking about the things in the heart of man, and they haven't changed. But you're going to have to think about how are they expressed now, okay? They don't, your, your neighbor may not talk like a stoic you know, it may not use the same formal language, but those same concerns are there. So we'll get to that in a second. We need to reveal God to our culture. Paul did that. Um, he just opened up who God was. I think it was a many-hour conversation. This is just kind of an outline, and that's why I'm going to take several sermons with it. And then he called them to repentance, just as our process plan were, you know, laid out. He calls them to that. He says, now's time to believe. God's been patient till now. And God's still patient, make no mistake, but he was, he, Paul didn't know how long they were going to live. He's like, he's been patient too now. You have decision to make. We need to, we need to come to that spot with neighbors. And, and then we need to do this together. How many times have I said together today? Anybody keeping track? It's a bunch. Okay, together we need to do this. As people that are bound to each other, Okay, like you ought to look at your church this way. We're going to spend one day, and there's some morning messages like this too. God must be after us, okay, this week on church. 
And how, can we, how tight can we be such that we really can do this together as believers? Because that's what God's called us to be as church. So I can't talk about all these things. That's not my goal. That's why they're written down. But this first section, before what I said God teaches about every culture, every one of these items are things that were key to the society that Paul was looking at. They were consumed with finding something new. I mean, our culture is the epitome of this, aren't we? I mean, my kids are like, Dad, you can't keep wearing those kind of sandals. I'm like, why? They're fine. They're just old school. I'm like, they might have come back. They're like, nope, they didn't. And I said, well, understand this. I don't care. I'm free from having to have new things unless it's a gun. No, I'm kidding. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> we laugh. But we all like new stuff. We like new ideas, new freedom. The church always does this generationally. You know, the generation of church right now, I think we can drink some. You know, we want, we want new liberty. And, and we, we'll just go to all lengths to defend this or that. And you're like, I don't even care. What in the world? We're supposed to be about the gospel. Why are we spending all this energy? I'm trying to have something new in church. What are we doing? I'll just use that as an example, see if I can irritate somebody and we can have a conversation, but I don't get it. Um, we're consumed with finding new. And it gets down to a new wife, new husband. I mean, it's just try something new. We have not escaped this one. Pleasure driven. Do I need to say anything? Um, the goal of the Epicureans to be free from pain. I mean, we freak out at disease. Why? Because we want to be free from trouble. That is not a Christian pursuit. It's not. We are here to live sacrificially, and suffering is normal. And God is going to use our lives, some of them tragically, on purpose, for the glory of his gospel. And it'll make sense. Wait till you learn about God. Next couple of days. We are not pleasure self-sufficient. I mean, Americans wrote the book on self-sufficient. We don't like to ask for help, especially Iowa farmers. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And it's a bad amen. Right? I mean, we need each other. God intends for it. How many times have I said the word? Together. Peace and tranquility is obsessed over. Um, they were big into being at one with nature. You thought that was new. That is not new, okay? That is just stoic philosophy, okay? Good can be attained and evil endured. You know, no fear in God was one of the Epicurean statements. No fear in God, no feeling at death. I mean, that is just upside down, okay? Driven by we can be good and we can endure evil. Let me tell you, there is so much evil and some of you have had it in the face so hard that you're questioning God. And understand, that's because you, if without God, you're thinking, I can endure evil. But what God says is, do that with me with purpose. It's very different than just trying to rise above it, as they would say. Death and fear are a problem for every culture. Every culture. You have to have an answer to death. It is an immediate pinch point. When we think about the process steps, you can create pinch points by carefully placed conversation. 
because we all have constant pinch point. I love pandemic. Anybody else with me? Yeah, because it is like one giant pinch point. Like you just don't even need any ramp to the gospel anymore. My town just walks around panicked, you know, about everything. And I'm like, this is great because they are just freaked out. And I'm not because if I die, you know, my wife, she thinks I'm weird. That's understandable. You know, like every once in a while, I just can't help myself. I watch a little doomsday prepper. I don't know. It's on the TV. It's right there, you know. And these people are like, woo, you know, like, what in the world? But there's a part of it that's kind of sort of right, maybe. And my, that's where my wife gets nervous, right? But she looks at me, and she watches the heroics these people do. And, that you know, the readout is, you just gained 1,200 days. And she's like, then what? That's, that's what she says from the couch. Like, this is pointless. 1,200 days of misery, and then you're done. I'd rather just go to heaven now. You know, like, like, what is the plan here? You know what I mean? Um, she, she did not design the show, obviously. But you can see there's a difference, all right? My wife totally at peace with death. Fear not entering her mind, right? Well, our culture, I don't think so. A desire to worship. Their culture was pantheistic. They worshiped everything. Everything became a god. Our culture. Well, what I want you to do, I mean, confirm these truths in your sphere of influence. And then I ask a harder question, and you might start with it, in your practical atheism, right? I mean, most of you are God-fearers, probably believe the gospel, but I can run to every one of these. I challenge you, take some quiet and write down how you can take a step toward each of these in your walk that starts to leave Jesus. The list is tough. Ignorance is seen as wisdom. Our culture is full of that. The highest thing is we don't know, just accept. Like, that's ignorant. I mean, that, that runs you off a cliff to not know. When my kids say, I don't know to me, when they were younger, they didn't. Because my answer was, if you don't know why you did something, you're not safe for yourself or society, so I will lock you up. <laughs> like, no, 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 I think I have an idea. Okay, let's hear it, you know. Uh, because to not know is not wisdom, okay? That is danger for everybody involved. These are things that I think are captured in the culture as Paul talked through it. I tried to modernize the statements, but I can defend every one of these from Acts right there in that section. I think a few other pieces that are true in culture, his text is not to capture everything, and there's some overlap here, is people desire peace. They, they want wisdom so they can be self-assured. We want pleasure. That was above. Self-worship. It, we are so self-oriented as a culture. I mean... So we don't always think of that as idolatry, but that is screaming idolatry. And how everything, it's all about how everything impacts me. That's just idolatry. And our neighbors, that, that's just normal, okay? Um, it's shocking to me how pride is considered a good thing on my street. Um, <laughs> one of the people has a big poster, we are proud. And then they list all the things, you know. I'm like, last I knew, pride was like a bad thing. And uh, it's just weird how wisdom is turned on its head. And we have to come into that culture. Shame. People carry shame. It doesn't matter what they believe. It's part of the image of God in them. And unless they are really seared, they have trouble. My wife, she's fairly naive at times. Living with me has changed that but because I'm mean. But... Uh, you know, she lived with me, and, and so she booked 
um, in Wisconsin at bed and breakfast for us a while ago. And we like to go away like that and have quiet for a couple of days. It's before we moved and, and it was called Rainbow Ridge Farms. And I, of course, I'm busy. I, I didn't ask her. We're driving there. We're almost there. I'm like, she had set the GPS. I'm like, where are we going anyway? She goes, well, it's this place. They got goats. And I love animals. And, and they milk goats every morning. And they got dogs and ducks. And I'm like, this is going to be cool. What's the name of it? Rainbow Ridge Farms. <laughs> and so we go in and my wife's like, they're business partners. <laughs> it was a little, little unnerving. You know, we, and it's such a killer because we walk in, move our stuff in, we come downstairs, and one of the ladies was there, and she goes, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> I train leaders. No, I told her, I'm a Baptist preacher. <laughs> Sometimes I disguise myself, but uh, I'm a Baptist preacher. And she goes, you know, I live like this because of what happened to me. I go, really? Talk to me. She unfolded her whole story. And we got to engage with her over the gospel, with her and her business partner, um, for two days. Shame caused her, she knew that this didn't fit the image of God. Even though she's working so hard to have an identity and be something, shame is present. And again, I mean, I didn't bring that pinch point. God did at that moment, right? But then at that moment, we need to, we need to be truthful and give them hope. I, I want to finish with this idea. Um, I, in traveling to churches, I, I see people that don't look robust in their boldness or their confidence. They are with each other, and we can sing with confidence, and we should. That's awesome. That's together, okay? But we need to, I mean, God would, I think he would want to use this week to embolden you to go home and to shift the culture in your home and then by that means in your church. You don't need to go home and say anything at church. You just need to go home and live this. Let me tell you, it will print your church. And in many cases, your church and pastors would be thrilled if you go home and put this stuff in motion. But sometimes I see us, i am kind of been a little bit of a Lord of the Rings person, I suppose. I just like some of the images that make us think a certain way. And I love the one speech. And I changed it for the church. Can I do that? I'll try. I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of the church fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. An hour of woes and shattered ideals when the age of the church comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we will fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, church. If that can be our rallying cry today, to say, okay, Christ, with you, we are in you. You are with us. We will stand. And we'll go to our culture, not braggadocious. We're going to have to go with great humility because we have deserted so many of our friends. We have not taken truth to them. Your pinch point, it might be yours. It might be confessing to them that you have not been open. 
that you have not spoken what would be their hope. I want this week to be a week where God just works at that in us. To do that, you have to determine right now, or the rest of the week doesn't work, you have to determine which kingdom are you in. It's that simple. There's two kingdoms. You're either someone who has repented and you're serving Christ. I'd say pray, train, witness. I'll give you three obvious serves, okay? And you are waiting for the deliverance. You are not living for now, okay? It's just junk and stuff here on earth. The physical things. You're, you are living now with hope for a future. You're there in that kingdom. And I would say, if you are not witnessing, I think you ought to ask yourself a hard question here. You know, Dave Callison said this morning, why is it so easy to talk about running and not God for him? I love his openness to us, right? And I've had that happen. I can talk about hunting first and God second. This is not good. We have to constantly say, wait a minute, who am I serving? What am I waiting for? Am I waiting for the next great hunt? Or am I waiting for eternal victory and glory together with my Savior? Are you in that kingdom? Or are you in the kingdom of idols? You say, I'm living a good life. Understand, if you don't, are not knowingly in the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and the belief in his resurrection that tells you, you you will spend eternity in heaven. If that's not where your faith is, you are serving the other kingdom, maybe unwittingly, but you are serving it. You may be living very nicely, but it is part of Satan's plan. There's only two kingdoms. And he has delivered me from the kingdom of darkness and put me into the kingdom of the son of his love. And if that is not known by you for sure, let me tell you, you are in idol worship of yourself or your stuff or your American way of life. I do not know what it is. And kids... You can't live in your parents' kingdom. This is a choice you have to make. I remember coming to Christ at five years old, and I realized in second grade that I had not shared Jesus with any of my friends yet. Because if you've come to Christ, you have to serve him. I mean, he's your king. I don't have a choice. So in third grade, at the sandbox... I got to share Christ for the first time with a friend. He didn't believe, but it was one of several times when I got to share my faith with him. I'm telling you, as young people here today, are you sharing your faith? It's not an adult sermon. Either repented and serving, or you're in idolatry, serving something and waiting for judgment that is very real and coming. Chad, if you'd come, we're going to sing, I think, together. And he's going to play through whatever he's chosen for a moment. And while he plays, I'm not going to hard press you. This is between you and Jesus. But I want you to just, just bow your head, be quiet for a minute so you can think. And I just want you to do business to say, which kingdom am I in? Okay? And if you're in God's kingdom, if you know that for sure, then, then decide to use something out of this message with your family before the end of the day. Today's one of the easiest days to do something as a family together. Okay, do something with it. Don't let your family down. Husbands and wives, talk. Do it together. Okay? But, but do business because if you're not sure which kingdom you're in, uh, the rest of the week's not going to make sense. I'd rather you engage. I, I, I'd talk about Jesus with you. There's other people here so that you can know. Open the word. Let you take your time. It, it may take you several days to sort this, but you need to decide which kingdom am I in. Understand that and choose Christ. He loves you. 
He's, he's going to judge, as was said earlier, but he has mercy, uh, ready to redeem. Just pray quietly. Think that. Decide what God wants for today for you.